0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Well, good morning. I don't know if I've mentioned this um, before that... About two songs ago, uh, the team sang a song it um, said, uh, it's your breath in our lungs, and so we pour out our praise. And I suspect that for some of you, that isn't the most meaningful song. But for me, uh, the, the meaning of that song came to light a couple years back. I was at a conference, and if I've shared this before, forgive me. But I'm looking over at the, the, the keynote speaker, and he is bent over like this, like just broken. And I didn't know the history of the song. The history of the song was uh, the pastor's name is Chip Ingram. Many of you have heard of him. It was uh, written by his son. I want to say his name is Brandon Ingram. But up until that, so he shared the story. He said his son um, had rejected Christ, rejected God, wanted nothing to do with the church. And for years that was the way it was. And then he made this comes back to the lord and then he now he's leading worship and he writes this he wrote that song it was like he came to the end of himself and he just like it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise and so to see this man that i revere and look up to bent over like that and knowing i've got little kids and knowing that probably here in this audience there are those of you who have kids who have gone astray from the lord grandkids or know some kids that grew up in the church but have walked away i'd hope that song would maybe have a little more meaning when you realize with the story behind it we we talk about the stories of songs written 100 years ago but this is one written like five years ago and so i want to pause before we even start this sermon and just take a moment and pray maybe you there's somebody in your in your life that's a young person who grew up in the church and just walked away and Lord's not done with them. And so let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll get back to the schedule. Father in heaven, we, as we think about people in our, in, our, in our families or our friendship circles that grew up in your house, grew up learning the truths of the scripture, and grew up learning about you, but we know they've walked away from you. We pray that you would not stop seeking them. You'd bring them to conviction. Conviction about their sin, convic- conviction about their need to have you in their lives. We pray that you give us wisdom to see opportunities to be a witness to them. Pray for us as a church that whatever it is you'd have us to do and be to reclaim these wayward sons and daughters, that you'd help us to become those types of people, this type of church. We pray, Lord, that today you'd prick their hearts and convict them of their need to repent and return home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me, if you would, in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. The first chapter of James teaches us how to respond well to life's problems so that we might not only persevere through them, but also benefit from life's problems. And so the first two shipments of wisdom that we took from James chapter 1 showed us how to answer questions that we usually ask, such as, why, God, and what do I do now? The Holy Spirit answered these questions, teaching us through the pen of James that when these trials come, it is to help us develop mature and stable faith and as a result, ask for and receive wisdom directly from God. This morning, James will help us to develop the proper perspective on our problems. Whether, they are, whether you are a senior saint, a senior in high school, or a parent, you will deal with problems. My mom and dad are good Christian people. They were good parents. They are good parents. But thinking about the way they were when I was growing up, they worked hard to raise godly children who know and follow Jesus Christ. And whether they understood it or not, they were doing so in a spiritual war zone. Actually, I think mom and dad knew quite well where they were raising their kids. Their children were growing up in a world that was hostile to the gospel, a world whose art... Music, movies, and opinions about life and God were at odds with what God has said. Sometimes things went well. Other times there were nights of frustration and fear as the flaming arrows of the evil one were being lobbed against them and their children. Even at times when the outcome was uncertain, they obeyed and trusted the Lord like good soldiers. I don't know how much time my parents spent thinking about the assaults of the evil one against their kids. But after nearly 20 years serving in youth ministry, I do know this. Oftentimes, Christian parents seem completely unaware that they are raising children in a spiritual war zone. So when problems come, and they will, they oftentimes bear their head in the sand or simply surrender to the culture. Regardless of how you might instinctively respond to these types of problems, you and I need to have the proper perspective on problems or we will not persevere and our kids need us to persevere in this fight. A teenage girl came to the conviction that since she believed in Jesus, she should live for him in public. This meant that sometimes she would feel led to talk about Jesus in the Bible. This also meant that sometimes she would be the bride of brunt of jokes. It also meant not going along with the crowd when it told dirty jokes, mocked other kids, and went to wild parties. And it certainly meant remaining sexually pure when everyone else acted like sexual sin was what cool people do. This often resulted in problems for her as peers confronted her with a strange mix of jealousy, judgment, and jokes. When a Christian teen faces those types of problems, It can cause them to back off of their convictions or abandon them altogether. But it just isn't just those who go through this. Adults who decide to live openly for Jesus face similar problems. Not always, though. Some people will respect and even admire your commitment to Christ and your faith, but sometimes it will mean being left out. Sometimes they experience the same odd mix of judgment, jealousy, and jokes that a Christian team might face. When a Christian is tempted to grow silent because, in public because of opposition, what they need is a proper perspective on this problem. We live in strange days that are filled with problems, and one of those problems is that people face the discouragement that comes when they remember that some days were better. They can remember a time when you could leave your doors unlocked and didn't have to worry that it was nightfall and the kids had not yet gotten home. We watch the news unfold every night and we look for someone to blame it's the politicians the union the management the cops it's those people it's music and movies while there is plenty of blame to go around the fact is what we need is the proper perspective on problems as blessed as we are to live in the united states so long as we are on earth rather than at home with jesus we are not at home and we have an enemy who wishes to harm us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that in this life we will have problems. He told us to expect them. So when problems appear, how should we respond to them? From what angle should we look at them, and in what light? Romans 8:28 tells us that if we are a child of God, our Heavenly Father can use all things, even bad things, for our benefit. What a great problem, promise that we have because of our relationship with Jesus. But if we hope to benefit from these problems, we need a proper perspective on these problems. This morning, James, the reluctant follower and half-brother of Jesus Christ, gives us some advice on how to look at problems so that we can receive unique blessings and have the strength to persevere. Let's hear what God's Word has to say to us in James chapter 1, Verses 9 through 12. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today and the opportunity to gather for worship. We thank you for the encouragement we find from the word of God. We thank you and praise you that the uh, rain has come and has uh, hopefully been met the needs of our farming friends and that we have a good crop this year. Pray for our time. Together this morning, that we would reap a crop of spiritual blessings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I had lunch with a uh, fellow pastor and church planter named Omar Segovia. And I also, uh, at lunch with, uh, with us, was uh, Dr. Anthony Allen. He was the president of Hannibal LaGrange University. And we got to talking about football. And Dr. Allen had played, uh, I think it was defensive tackle. For the Duke University, and uh, he shared a story about how um, he felt like he had a concussion because as he and Omar talked about football, they talked about the reality uh, of head-on collisions. And Omar too played college football. During one play, uh, Doctor Allen said he he ran head first into the helmet of a 235-pound fullback from another team, and he staggered back to the off to the huddle in the, in the backfield. And he started leaning on his fellow teammate, and he just had all his weight on him. His friendliest teammate goes, dude, get off me. And he said, I can't, because if I do, I will fall down. Omar told also about a time when he got blindsided, hit by a guy he didn't see coming. He said his eyes were going in the opposite directions after he got hit. One was going this way, one was going that way. And so he closed his eyes, put his fingertips on his eyelids, and physically tried to turn his eyeballs in to straighten them out. Now, of course, as these men talked about the violence of football and and the injuries that they sustained and some of the fears they had about concussions. Sorry, I know we have a new football player in our church today, but he'll be fine, he'll be fine. They told the stories with puffed-up chests because they knew that it was an honor to suffer for the privilege of playing college football, a privilege that few men have enjoyed. Because we are Christians, we can expect to take some staggering hits. We can expect to be blindsided. But the truth is, suffering for Christ is an honor. Look again at verse 9 and 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Suffering for Christ is an honor. The Christians who originally read this letter were suffering hardship because of their faith in Jesus. They had been run out of town because they were Christians. But in their new hometown, they had similar problems. James' advice to them applies to us today. He tells poor Christians to recognize the honor that has been extended to you. You may be a nobody to this world, but through faith in Christ Jesus, you are a child of God, a co-heir of the universe with Christ, and you have been counted worthy of suffering with him. The rich Christians were told to celebrate in their humiliation. They had enjoyed good things in life because of their wealth. They had prestige, power, and prominence. But now they are enduring hardships because they are united with Christ through faith. The proof of their salvation was that they were being harmed for their faith, and yet they were persevering. Suffering is a great leveler. It puts rich and poor on level ground. James's counsel then to all Christians who are enduring problems, whether rich or poor, is to gain the right perspective. And that perspective is this. Suffering for Christ is an honor. You can pride yourself on your relationship with God. The early church did. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John were persecuted for proclaiming salvation through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They were arrested, threatened, and beaten. Then in Acts 5.41, we see the astounding conclusion of the events. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They saw it as an honor to suffer for his name. That, beloved, is a different perspective on problems. When you attempt to live for Christ, obey his commands, and proclaim his name, you are going to have problems. And it wasn't just the apostles who suffered for their faith in Jesus. Average Christians like you and me in the church of Philippi had the same kinds of problems. And they were, be, they were being persecuted for their faith. So the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them. And listen to what he wrote to them in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted for you, not for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, some of you are always thinking, this isn't good news at all. Well, unless you've been going through hard times, and then you find out that hardships might just be because of your relationship with Jesus, It makes sense of the problem. It puts it in perspective. The original readers were being persecuted. They were mistreated and even killed for their faith. If you have been mocked, ignored, left out, or abandoned because of your faith, then you have endured persecution, albeit not being beaten, imprisoned, or murdered, but it was persecution. As long as we are away from our home in heaven, we will have problems. Jesus left his people here in this fallen world to live for him, and bring him glory so that others too might believe. Along with the honor of knowing Christ and making him known in this world comes problems. When problems come because you decide to live for Christ in public, understand that it is because you have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. In Ohio on Friday nights in the fall, it is football night, and I can remember when I played football, our coaches used to make us wear shirt and tie on Fridays so we would recognize the privilege that we had, and also we'd stand out as teammates in school in the school day. But then those same coaches, during pregame game warm-ups, there was like a shift. We went from being uh, privileged people on the football team to, all right, men, it's time to go to war. That's what they'd start yelling at us. And they would start we shouting these strange things like, keep your head on a swivel, which was their way of saying, guess what? Because you have this privilege of playing football for the North Olmstead Eagles, along with that comes the reality that young men from other cities on other teams wearing different jerseys are trying to tear your head off. So keep your head on the swivel so that you won't get hit. Or if you do get hit, you can be ready for it when it comes. Larry's laughing because he coaches all, say all kinds of goofy stuff. Keep your head on a swivel because you should expect to get hit. So better yet, you can dock it, duck it or dodge it, or best yet, return fire and put that Rocky River pirate on his butt. As Christians, you, the same is true for Christians today. We should pride ourselves on our relationship with God, but because we are on His team, in His family, through faith in Jesus, we can expect opposition to come. Problems will emerge. It comes with the territory. And while the temptation is to respond to our problems with anger, sadness, fear, confusion, or sometimes to feel humiliated, James tells us to celebrate because we have been exalted, counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We're on his team, and because of that, opposition comes. Pride yourself on your relationship with Jesus, the creator, without whom was not anything made that was made. Some in the world, some in your circle, might not value this, but you do. You know exactly who you know. He's Jesus, the Lord of the universe, Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you have endured hardship because of your faith in Jesus, understand that it is because you have been put in an exalted position. You are someone who is counted worthy to suffer with the King of Kings. That, beloved, is a different perspective on problems. Are you a Christian? Then keep your head on a swivel, because whether you know it or not, you are in a spiritual war zone, and so are your kids and grandkids. But this spiritual war zone is one that is not about scoring touchdowns, but about the eternal destiny of men, women, and children. We are playing for keeps. I hope you know that. Being saved is a cause for joy, but we must keep things in perspective. If you are living for Jesus, you have become a target. But it is worth suffering because suffering with Christ means that you have a position of honor. And this is a new perspective altogether. Suffering for Christ brings blessings. Look at verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. This is a word picture that gives us a dose of reality. The hot Mediterranean sun and the scorching shiraka winds would quickly wilt plant life. And the, element, these, the effects of the elements on grass were well known to James's original readers. And so he used the imagery vividly to portray the coming day of Judgment. Jesus said it would come like a thief in the night, at a moment when you least expect it. And so these images here in James bless us by giving us the benefit of godly wisdom. They are a blessing because they give us the benefit of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom has to do with knowing how to think, act, and feel in ways that keep God's perspective in perspective. Verse 11 is an ominous warning to the rich that gives a clear perspective on reality. Your wealth may save you from famine. It may buy you protection and medicine. It might even buy you a judge or a cop, but it will not save you on judgment day. So now you and I have a little problem here, because compared to the people who first read James's letter, we are very rich. You washed yourself with running water slept in a comfortable bed, probably in a climate-controlled room, and you came to church in your motorized chariot. I don't care what kind of chariot it was, you are rich. Now, you may not be wealthy and powerful like, say, Governor Pritzker, but you are rich compared to most people in the world. But being rich isn't a sin. But the arrogance and self-reliance that often accompanies wealth are sinful. James is warning us that judgment will come for all of us. So be wise and humble yourself before Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins. Without Christ, you will have to pay for your own sins, but your moral bank account doesn't have enough in it to pay the bill. Recognizing that you, li- your life, that you live your life in the sight of God will help you to stay humble before him and in your relationship with other people. And this is godly wisdom. Because a suffering then brings us blessings that come from godly wisdom and the blessing of godly perspective. What about this blessing of godly perspective? Well, when you have a clear picture of ultimate reality, including the fact that you will stand before the judge and that Jesus' glory is ultimate, you will have the proper perspective for viewing all of life's pains, joys, and problems. Even your best days and most precious possessions are small potatoes compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. God invites you to pride yourself on your relationship with him, especially on the days when problems appear. God invites you to pride yourself on your relationship to him, especially on the days when problems appear. Those who persevere with Christ through problems can expect God's blessing. Just look at the first part of verse 12. We see that blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. Trials show you what your faith is made of. Jesus told a parable known as the parable of the soils. The summary of the parable is this The truth of salvation through faith in Christ is scattered upon the hearts of many people. For some, the seeds of truth simply bounce off of it like seed bouncing off of cement. Others show signs of promise and seem to believe for a while, only to crumble under the pressure of problems and temptation. Staying faithful to Christ through problems shows us what our faith is really made of. Trials show us whether we have a relationship with Jesus. Enduring the heat of hardships for Christ demonstrates that you are truly united to him. But if this world, the flesh, and the devil aren't trying to tear your head off and actually appears to be quite friendly with you, then it might be proof that you aren't as united with Christ as you think you are. James will tell us later in this letter that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So how should we respond to trials? How should we respond to trials? Well, persevere through them. Persevere through them. When we get knocked for a loop, we need to lean on other Christians so that we don't fall down. You cannot have those type of relationships with other Christians unless you are connected to them. That's why we have begun small groups on Sunday nights to help us get better connected to each other. A lot of Christians are at risk because of COVID. I don't mean the risk that they will get the virus. I mean that they have become disconnected from the body of Christ because of COVID concerns and have never reconnected. It's time for you to reconnect. You are weak and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because you are isolated from your church family. It is well past time for the church to reconnect with each other. Draw near to Jesus because of trials. Understand that problems are a normal part of following Christ, and that because you are on his team, you can expect to get hit. Keep your head on a swivel. More importantly, draw near to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, are you enduring problems that have made you weary and heavy laden? Draw near to Jesus. When problems present themselves, we should view them as opportunities to develop stable faith and grow in wisdom. The way we do that is by growing closer to our Savior, the Good Shepherd, Jesus. We do this by recognizing that these momentary problems pale in comparison to the glory of Christ. So we have so have problems appeared in your life? Then draw near to Jesus. How do we do that? I'm going to give you some simple but powerful action steps. Draw near to Jesus by drawing near to the body of Christ, the church. Satan wants nothing more than to see God's children drift away from the Lord's Church because it makes us weak and vulnerable, especially during trials. Sometimes trials blindside us, like what happened to my friend Omar. Sometimes we go head-on into trials like Dr. Allen, and we're staggering. And when you try to endure those problems alone, you'll fall. Dr. Allen went back to the huddle with his teammates, and one of them held him up. He was frustrated at first and said, Get off me. He said, I can't. If I do, I will fall down. What a picture of what life in the church is to be like for the children of God when we endure problems. When we are isolated, we are weak and vulnerable. So draw near to the Lord by drawing near to his church. Draw near to Jesus by prayerfully reading his word. I'm not just talking about sort of reading it and going on about your day, but slowly reading it. Thinking about what it says and then praying about what it says. Asking God to show you what needs to change in your life. Where, where your attitudes might need to change. And ask God to help you live life the way that you would, he would have you to live it. Because the truth is, in our own strength, we often don't have what we need to endure. That's why we need the Lord. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the word of God. One of the things that I sort of just beginning to recognize more and more is in life there are different seasons and with that come different challenges. In your 30s you might have been the, on the top of the world, top of the food chain, strong as they come, never needed to take a day off of work, but in your 50s, 60s that's not the case. And along with that comes a great deal of turmoil. I would simply say this, When those problems come, God wants you to draw near to him for some reason. But for some reason, when we got saved, he didn't just take us home to heaven. He left us here to do something. In the meantime, when problems occur, because you are a child of God, you have the privilege of drawing near to him and to his team. When hard times come into your life, we are to draw near to God because we come to the end of ourselves. We are drawn near to God because we come to the end of ourselves. It is there that we find grace. Are you in the storms of life this morning? Draw nearer to Jesus and find grace. Finally, perhaps this morning, you have never put your trust in Jesus for salvation. You know that you have sinned. You have broken God's law. The wages of sin is death, not only physical death, but separation from God for eternity. That is the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for your sins, and then rose again the third day. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is something that disciples of Christ, followers of Christ do, to remember and proclaim Christ's sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins. We are to do this until he returns. If you, that this is only for those who have put their trust in Jesus. If you have done that, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you are welcome to take Lord's Supper with us, even if you're not a member of Calvary Baptist Church. But if you have never put your trust in Jesus for salvation, the Lord's Supper is not for you. You are welcome to worship with us, but we ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. Not because we don't love you. We do but because God has commanded you to not take the Lord's Supper if you're not a follower of Christ. So we ask you not to take the Lord's Supper with us if you are not a believer in Jesus. But better yet, if you have never turned from sin and turned to Jesus in faith, why would you not want to do that right now? What would stop you? I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, to put your trust in Jesus. So if you want to surrender to Jesus as Lord, and deterred from sins and turn to him for salvation. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and I want to help you do that. This morning, if you've come to the place where you say, I know that I've sinned, I've broken God's laws, it, probably in ways I haven't even thought of yet. You know, I, I got to share the gospel with someone recently, and the way I laid the prayer is usually this, Lord, I confess that I have sinned, even in ways I, ha- I don't even know about. And I just remember seeing this man kind of chuckle, like, yeah, thats I know that's right. I've probably broken God's rules without even realizing it. Well, today, if you've come to that point in your life where you know that you've sinned, you believe the truth about Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, he's the son of God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again the third day, that's awesome, you're at the, you're at the right spot. But God doesn't want you to just say, yeah, these are good truths. He wants you to respond. One of the ways that we respond is simply by putting our trust in Jesus. And you can call on him in faith. The Bible says whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you'd like to do that, I'm releasing a very simple prayer. You can take my words, repeat them to the Lord. There's no magic in the words, it's just sort of a, a way we've come to know it's to call on Jesus. And if you'd like to do that, join me now in prayer. If I want to bow their heads and close their eyes. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I have broken your rules, probably in ways I don't even realize. But I believe that you sent Jesus. He died on the cross to pay for my sins, and that he rose again the third day. Now, in this moment, I'm turning away from sin and turning to Jesus in faith. I surrender my life to him as my Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray that you would help me to have the strength to follow Jesus the way you want me to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.